Hello and welcome to section two, episode 28 of the LEFC Fan Zone podcast. I'm Sam Isles. And I'm Jack Ellis. In each episode, we'll be talking to an ex-Legion United player or manager about their time at the club. Last episode was the first section of episode 28 with David Healy. And last week, David was speaking about his arrival at Leeds from Preston and how he aimed to help Leeds get back into the Premier League at the first time of asking and spend just one year in the Championship. As we found out, that obviously wasn't the case for Leeds. But what David also didn't fully realise when he had joined the club was the troubles Leeds were in off the pitch when he first came. And it was interesting to hear about what he said about that side of things, wasn't it, Jack? Yeah, it was It was one of few players that Leeds actually paid the transfer fee for that season when we did go down to the Championship, obviously a lot of which were older players, with the utmost respect, uh, players who were out of contract and players who probably wouldn't have demanded that big contract towards the back end of their career. A couple of months after his arrival, Ken Bates saved the club from administration, as we all know, by famously purchasing the club for a pound, which seems like a great deal until you realise that the club, like I previously mentioned, was in £100 million worth of debt. Although Leeds finished mid-table in his first season, which was a good turnaround considering that when Bates bought the club from Leeds, they were in a relegation battle. In David's first full season in the Championship, Leeds finished fifth in, in the playoff places. But one of the most memorable games that season, and still one of Leeds' greatest ever comebacks, was an away trip to Southampton, where after 70 minutes, Leeds were trailing 3-0. However, four goals from Leeds in the final 20 minutes, including a penalty from David Healy, saw Leeds secure all three points and helped the side finish in them playoff places. Unfortunately, both me and you, Jack, were probably a bit too young to be able to go to that game, but it must have been an amazing game to be at. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sure the journey back would have been one to remember. And that game was one of 26 wins that season, which was double the amount Leeds managed the previous season. And Leeds were 3-0 down after 70 minutes, and David came on as a sub four minutes before the first goal of the comeback from Paul Butler. And Robbie Blake scored in the 77th, David scored in the 84th via a pen and a late winner by Liam Miller in the 86th minute for the win and someone who was close to David from his time at Manchester United and obviously sadly passed away in 2018. If you haven't had a chance to listen to the previous episode and section one with David Healy or if you've missed any of our other shows, they're all available on Spotify, YouTube and Apple Podcast simply by searching the LUFC Fan Zone Podcast. Just before we go into today's show, Today's episode is sponsored by the Mystery Football Kit Co. So the guys over at Mystery Football Kit Co. have reached out to us and happily agreed to sponsor the podcast and support us as a small business ourselves. They are Leeds fans and what they are offering is a Mystery Football Kit Box. And if you're not sure what a Mystery Football Kit Box is, it's the opportunity to get your hands on a shirt you might not have got before. It's from any team, from any time, including this season as well, all over the globe. All you have to do is select your size on their website as well as any kits or colours you don't want to feature in your mystery box. So obviously you'll be selecting no red kits in that category straight away. And your very own mystery shirt will arrive on your doorstep and you won't know what kit you've received until you open up. All of their shirts are hand-picked to each order and every item is of high quality and I must emphasise as well, genuine brand new football shirt from either this year or any previous year from any club around the world. And because of our partnership, as well as the fact that we like to look out for our listeners, if you enter the code LUFC Fanzone at checkout, you'll receive 10% off your order. 
So make sure you head over to Mystery Football Kit Co on Instagram or www.mysteryfootballkitco.com to check them out. And make sure you add the discount code LUFC Fanzone at checkout. And that's where we left it for the first section of the show with David. And this second section of the show continues with us talking about Leeds' 2005-06 season playoff hopes, starting with the semi-final against David's old club, Preston, and Leeds' poor form going into the most important stage of the season and arguably the best chance for Leeds to get back into the Premier League. Going into them playoffs, Leeds won just one of the final 10 games that season and picked up just nine out of a possible 30 points going into that playoff yeah. which was against your old club Preston once again. But what did you feel was the reasoning for that huge dip in form for them final 10 matches of the Championship? And how did you feel it would have affected Leeds' playoff matches and ambitions of achieving promotion through the playoffs? Because the side didn't have any momentum or positive results going into that stage of the season. Uh, yeah, again, you know, when you are going into the playoffs, more often than not, uh, it's probably the team going into the, the playoffs while well, they finish sometimes it's great when it's fifth or sixth and they're the teams with a wee bit of momentum a wee bit of belief a wee bit of confidence we had basically secured it uh, quite a lot I think I scored I remember scoring against Crew. I don't know well it was the game before the end of the season uh, and that was my first goal in a while uh, I think we won the game maybe 1-0 um, but our previous form well it was basically we were uh, and I can't remember off the top of my head whether we were sort of managing players maybe it was a couple of injuries suspensions to make sure that when the playoffs came along, uh, we would have been better prepared for it. Um, and again, I, I, I thought maybe at the time, maybe the manager got that right, because um, although we drew with Preston in the first leg at Elms Road, um, he changed things up a little bit uh, for the away leg. We ended up getting a massive result uh, at deep deal to give us the opportunity to play them, offered in the final. And again, I still believe that we were by far and away the best team uh, to get promoted that year. So that's why I was disappointed when not only, and again, from a personal level, people say any regrets. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, I played in the semi-final against Preston at Elms Road. Uh, I missed the deep deal game and I understood the reasons. spoke to Kevin. Kevin says he wanted to play probably a wee bit more of a, a defensive shape where I think he played uh, a 4-3-3, but he played Eddie Lewis on the left and he played Fraser Richardson on the right, which again... At that time, Eddie was a, a probably an out-and-out sort of wing-back. Fraser at the time probably wasn't an attacking wing-back. He was more of a full-back. But we got it right, to be fair to Kevin, away to, uh, away to uh, deep deal. Uh, Fraser scored. I think Robbie uh, Hulsey scored. And I think maybe Fraser scored the second goal. So, you know, credit where it's due. I think he got it right that night. But the disappointing, frustrating thing for me, and I'm sure for everybody else at the time, was uh, we were playing Watford. We played Watford uh, already a couple of times that season. Um, Watford were big, strong, probably a wee bit sluggish. Said people like Malky Mackay at the back, who was coming sort of the end of his sort of tenure. I think he was mid thirties. That we played the same. We played the exact same formation that beat Preston at Deepdale. Um, so I, I just felt as if at the time I was a wee bit more defensive than what it, what, what it should have been. Yes, I understand. Uh, Kevin wanted to be loyal to the players who got him there in the second leg but I also I, I always felt a little bit frustrated I'd been top goal scorer that year I'd played on the left wing I'd played on the right wing I'd played up front at times uh, I felt as if I had earned the right to play in the biggest game that the club were you know going to have for you know certainly until they got promoted there recently um, you know in the last sort of previous 15-20 years of their history 
Uh, so probably whether it's sour grapes for me as a player that it was being left out or not, I felt I'd earned the right to play. Uh, I recall how disappointed I felt, not only when I found out I wasn't playing. Uh, at half time, he made a change uh, because we were getting beat. Uh, and he brought Robbie Blake on before me. Again, nothing against Robbie because I had a good rapport and a good friendship with Robbie. I just felt at the time, you know, so I was coming on in 65, 70 minutes, but we're basically, the game was done and dusted. We were getting beat 2-0. Uh, and again, I just felt at the time that my dream of playing for Leeds in the Premier League was basically, I'm not saying I would have helped or we would have won the game, but I would have felt as if I would have, and that was the reason why I signed for Leeds, to give myself the opportunity, give Leeds the opportunity to get back in. And it never sort of panned out that way. So I never really, personally, I never recovered. Certainly my relationship with Kevin Blackwell after that um, was a little bit scarred. Uh, he did start the previous, uh, sorry, the, the season after in, in, in charge of the manager and then was quickly replaced. Um, but I also, I always sort of felt a wee bit of annoyance and frustration that Kevin didn't give me the opportunity to play at the, uh, the Millennium Stadium that day. And for your third consecutive season at Leeds, again, it was a complete contrast to the last. And Leeds continued their poor form from the back end of the season and lost nine of their first 13 matches of that season, which was like your first season at Leeds, which saw the side fall towards the back end of the championship. Why do you think that was again? Because less than a few months before, like we've just spoke about, Leeds were playing the playoff final against Watford, but then just a few months later, they were once again battling towards the bottom end of the championship? Again, uh, the great unknown is at times the, the highs and the lows again. Uh, getting beaten in the playoff final um, probably scarred us a little bit. Um, we probably lost one or two of the players. Again, then probably some of the recruitment wasn't as good as it probably should have been. Uh, Kevin Blackwell was removed. I can't remember... Well, it was five, six games into the, the the league campaign. I always remember a game we started the season because we beat um, we beat Norwich at home and we beat them one nil uh, because I scored a penalty um, at the um, at the away end. Um, so we give ourselves a little bit of a start. There was no sort of hangover in pre season, but the longer then the the little run of games and the inconsistency, maybe the recruitment wasn't as good as it should have been. Uh, Kevin leaving, Dennis sort of ways coming in then. Uh, it basically was, you know, one of them seasons where it's hard to put your finger on who to blame. It, ultimately, at the end of the day, it's the players to blame. We we can blame chairman and managers and whatever else uh, along the way, but it's the players on the pitch at the end of the day. Managers get sacked, managers get praise, chairman get the praise when they're spending the money and they get success. But again, you know, at the end of the day, you know, you guys, supporters, mad supporters, love love your club. You want to see a little bit of passion out of the players. You want to see consistency. You want to see players playing for the shirt. And we didn't have that that year. You know, there was just it went from bad to worse. And again, when you sense that there's going to be relegation again, you're sort of thinking, surely this can't happen. Surely we're too good for this to happen. Uh, and the longer it went, uh, you know, worst case scenario arrived at our door quickly. Uh, and without sort of people sort of realising that, by the way, we're relegated here. Although the results were bad for Leeds that year, once again, you were breaking records with your country, Northern Ireland, in, in the early season international break. In yeah. September, Northern Ireland faced Spain, again at Windsor Park, but this time for the 2008 European qualifiers. Like the previous year's game against England, Northern Ireland were huge underdogs. 
However, despite going 1-0 and then 2-0 down, you managed to score a hat-trick against Spain, which saw Northern Ireland record another famous victory. Once again, what can you remember about that famous night, especially your hat-trick and the third goal where you lobbed Ika Casilla from about 25 yards? And as well, how important did you find it to have good results and performances like that for your country? To generate some positivity for yourself as an individual when the results at Leeds weren't the best? Yeah, uh, to, to be honest, again, it was a question that I was always sort of asked by a lot of sort of journalists and people. Uh, and even when I, even on my return from Leeds at times, um, why was I scoring so many international goals um, and I wasn't sort of scoring a club level? It was labelled at me when I went to Sunderland. It was labelled at me when I went to Fulham. Um, and I could never ever put... It's not as if, you know, playing for Leeds or playing for Preston or playing for Sunderland didn't mean that much to me. Every time I crossed the white line, it didn't matter I was playing for Northern. I always wanted to put as much into the game because, again, selfishly, you're sort of thinking you want to do well for yourself. The team may not be doing well, but you always want to sort of look after yourself. So to answer your question, I was always asked by lots of managers, how can we get you scoring goals the way you score for Northern Ireland? And I could never ever have the answer. So, so, some people do it differently. Uh, and you look at somebody like um, a Robbie Fowler, who scored hundreds Lots of goals for Liverpool, but he was never given sort of the opportunity. Or even when he played for England, he didn't score as many England goals. Um, Alan Shearer probably did it for both. Maybe Andy Cole scored goals for Newcastle. Man United probably didn't score as many England goals when given the opportunity. So sometimes people at clubs um, score a load of goals for the club and then can't hit uh, the international. I think international football maybe suited me a little bit more. Uh, Laurie Sanchez was very direct in the way he wanted to play, uh, which gave me as a as a centre forward or a poacher in the round probably more opportunities because uh, there was more balls in and around the six yard box for me to uh, to be on the end of. But it was a, to be honest, it was a hugely frustrating one, and I could never ever sort of put it. And uh, I understood at the time there was a little bit of frustration uh, with the supporters and the, for the clubs that I played for that. Um, you know, he's scoring all these goals for Northern Ireland. Why is he not scoring for us? This isn't fair. And to be fair, they were, and to be honest, some of them were probably right. And I always felt a little bit guilty coming back um, from international duty, having scored a couple of goals, um, or going away, having scored, going away to play international football when I hadn't scored as many goals as uh, as I had hoped for uh, the club that I was playing for, especially Leeds at the time. Um, I know there was a couple of incidents that I know Dennis Wise come to watch me at Windsor and Belfast. Um, one of one of the occasions, and I scored a couple of goals, and he did say to me on my return, um, maybe you should wear your uh, Northern Ireland top underneath your Leeds top. But a couple of managers, Roy Keane at Sunderland, said the same thing. But it was one of them things. I I don't think I tried harder for the international team than he ever did for any of the games or matches that I played for, any of the clubs that I played for. Just one of them mysteries where I scored international goals, uh, probably one and sort of two and a half, three games and club level I probably ended up with one and four, one and five. I wish it probably, you know, could have been as equal uh, for both club and country because as I say, um, the clubs are paying you wages and certainly the supporters, the hardcore supporters want to see not only you performing when you're away on international duty, uh, they want to see uh, you prefer performing for, uh, you know, the club that you're playing for. I've seen recently uh, uh, Mitrovic from Fulham, I don't think he scored I don't think he's hardly scored a goal for Fulham this year. And he plays, I think he plays two or three games for, for Serbia in the space of a week and he's back with about six goals. <laughs> Fulham, 
Fulham are trying to stave off relegation and people are, you know, I would imagine, uh, and I know because my mate copied me in, in a message to say, uh, you're now, you're, you're, you're now the, or somebody copied Mitrovic in to say, you're the David Healy of the, the 20th, the 2020s. Somebody who couldn't hit a, somebody who couldn't hit a barn door for his club, but you get two or three games away for your international um, country and you're banging them left, right and centre. And to be fair to him, and having seen it, I've thought, do you know what? This poor lad's going to be coming back from uh, international duty, scoring a lot of goals for Serbia, and he's probably not going to get the chance. And I know he did score. I think he scored on his return, maybe the first game against, I think, uh, Fulham were playing, maybe Aston Villa. And thankfully, Mitrovic scored, because then people might sort of think, you know, me personally, I'm, I'm thinking some of the fans might give him a wee bit of a break here, because not only has he got himself in good form, fit, got, him, got himself a few games away in international duty, He's actually responded and he's come back and scored a goal for his club. Following that historic night in Belfast, the poor results that Leeds saw saw the departure of Kevin Blackwell, who left the club in September. His replacement, former Chelsea midfielder Dennis Wise, and his initial arrival wasn't met with much positivity from the Leeds fans because of his past allegiances. But what did you make of that appointment and how did his managerial style, from which we've heard from Matt Kilgallen on a previous episode, was very different to Kevin Blackwell's? Again, when when uh, when Wisey was sort of introduced to us at the time, um, I think it was one. I don't know. I think we maybe played South End. I think we either South End in the cup or South End at home. Um, and uh, news had broke that uh, Dennis Wise. And again, with previously, we knew obviously the there was a wee bit of um, unsavoury comments uh, when Ken Bates was obviously introduced as the chairman. Again, I understood uh, the previous relationship with, obviously, Chelsea. And I know Leeds and Chelsea uh, infamously probably didn't get on with the supporters. Uh, I know they still sing a few songs about each other. Um, so I, I, I knew the, 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 the introduction of Dennis um, probably wasn't met with, um, you know, the kindest of sort of thoughts and whatever else. But to be fair, and I know there was others in the dressing room you say there about uh, Killer Kilgallen when he was talking about obviously there was different things that sort of went on. I actually got on with Dennis okay. Um, and again when I left the football club uh, when I went to Fulham after we were relegated um, Dennis was still sort of living in and around the London area. Um, I did have a meal and whatever else uh, with Dennis after that. So again you know people at the time uh, had different opinions. I know there was some of the players where Dennis had uh, basically made uh, surplus to requirements which happens at football clubs when a manager comes in um, and again Dennis was probably you know him and Gus Gustavo uh, when he was in you know I got on pretty well with him they were fitness freaks to be honest we used to do these incredibly mad runs and we used to do these this eight minute row off and you used to have to do about 10 million sit ups uh, because Dennis had a six pack and obviously Gustavo was probably was in the condition where he probably could have still been playing. Um, but I like Dennis. I, I, I got on pretty well with Dennis. Uh, Gustavo, again, you know, you've seen him as a manager. You've seen him as a coach. He was nuts. He was crackers. Um, but I understood the game. I know he still had previous with, with Chelsea and whatever else. And uh, there was other little things going on in the dressing where people sort of, there was fallouts going on and there was uncertainty. Uh, there was a wee bit of... Uh, dressing room sort of you know 
things going on that probably people weren't aware of outside and we were just trying to manage it. And again, I think that was a lot to do with, uh, you know, players, managers. And again, to be honest, me as a manager now, I look back on, and I always say, and I, again, I've done a conversation with, with, with a journalist recently. If I had been a manager previously first, if I had been a manager first uh, and then maybe a player second, there would have been more, more personally me, there would have been more of an understanding of the hard work, the dedication, the sacrifices that you actually have to make as uh, as a coach or a manager. And there's more understanding then because when you were left out by any of the managers as a player, you were basically just thinking, the manager's a prick. Uh, it doesn't matter how well I do or how well I'm not doing. Uh, he's never going to play me because he doesn't like me. But again, me now, put myself in the coach managerial there's a lot of thought goes in. There's a lot of hard work goes into during the week. Uh, and to be fair, Dennis, uh, and to be honest, Dennis worked his absolute socks off. Uh, he wanted things to work because, again, he was probably coming into, he was probably coming into the environment where he knew uh, with his background that he needed to be successful and probably needed to be successful quickly or it was always going to be labelled at him that he was, uh, you know, ex-Chelsea. Um, and to be fair, as I said before, I got on pretty well with Dennis. I liked the way he sort of went about it. He was honest, probably too honest at times. Some of the other boys in the dressing room didn't like him uh, for their own personal reasons. But again, I can only take it the way he managed me and, um, you know, as I say, get to the end of the season, um, whether it was right or wrong or whether I was ready or not. He took a wee bit of a punt in me and made me the, the captain of Leeds United, which again, you know, was a huge, huge honour even though it didn't work out to, to, to the way we wanted. Uh, I always felt it was a huge honour and, uh, and Dennis gave me the opportunity to do that. Dennis obviously did arrive at Leeds and the results didn't improve much. And like you touched on earlier, Leeds played Ipswich at Ellen Road with two games of the season remaining. And for any chance of survival, Leeds had to win that game as well as the final match at Derby to have any chance of staying in the Championship. And Lees did go 1-0 up through Richard Creswell. However, a late goal for Madden Lee, like you mentioned as well, sparked mass protests around Ellen Road and the protest on the pitch in an attempt to abandon the match. But yeah. what can you remember about that game and the protests, as well as the feeling that relegation was more or less confirmed and, like you said as well, with the captain's armband? Yeah, a uh, horrendous day, one that I will certainly take to my grave. That, you know, if somebody said to me... In 40 years' time, uh, when I've been a manager or maybe not been a manager, what's been some of your disappointments? Give us your top five or top ten. I would imagine that day as a whole will sort of always be with me because how disappointed not only were we relegated out of a league that I signed for the club to get out of, to go the opposite way, to get promoted to the Premier League. Uh, to see us fall out in the way that we did, uh, I was captain. I had underperformed along with the rest of the players. We weren't uh, we, we we should have been miles better for the quality of players that we had. So again, you know, we we let use that use the supporters. We let the club down by underperforming. Uh, um, even though I felt that personally, I tried my best. We 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 couldn't get there as a as a group of players. And we couldn't get the results needed to stay up. Um, but it was a horrendous day. Uh, made even worse by obviously the uh, supporters venting their frustration again, understandably. Uh, they're seeing the, the club not only relegated out of the uh, the Premier League two years previously, but basically moved into the third tier in English football, which was unacceptable. So I could understand the frustration um, and their disappointments and whatever else. 
Uh, one thing I do take from the day when obviously Alan Lee did get the goal that he did. Um, you know, the atmosphere should, should suddenly turn. To, the, we still felt as if there might have been an opportunity going to Derby in the last game. But once Alan Lee scored, uh, we still had a corner. I always remember when the supporters were on and however long it took to um, get the supporters off. We still had a corner. Um, and the last minute, I always remember, we're, we were somehow working this magic corner in the dressing room when the supporters were finally cleared off the pitch and we were going to score and we were still going to give us... So there was even still then, there was still a little bit of hope and a wee bit of belief that, OK, Alan Lee scored, we've got a corner, maybe about 60 seconds left. Uh, there still might be an opportunity to get a goal. And we went out and uh, to be fair, I think uh, the corner was crap. Ipswich, Ipswich headed a clear um, and... 60 seconds later, we were basically relegated, which I think even then, I think the supporters, I think, I didn't say they'd given up. I think they were so annoyed with the, the initial protests of being on the pitch. When the whistle went, you know, there was a larger sort of police presence, whatever else. And I say, but I, I, again, as a player, certainly now as you get older, you're more understanding of the huge disappointments that the supporters felt because, you know, they'd been let down by the players, they'd been let down by the club. They've been let down by the investment and everything else two, three years previously. And uh, unfortunately for me, being captain of the day and the rest of the players, that we didn't do enough for the Pride Club to not only stave off relegation, but what I signed to, what I signed to the club for was to get promotion back to the Premier League. Because of that result, of course, Leeds were mathematically relegated into League One for the first time in the club's history. Yeah. And to inflict further pain for the side, had a 10-point deduction, which you also touched on, which made the Leeds finish bottom of the Championship. Despite that, extremely, despite that extremely tough season for Leeds, once again, you were the club's top goalscorer. And because of that, was it always going to be the case that you were going to move away from Leeds and depart the club as opposed to staying in League One? Um, I, 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 again, I wasn't one for sort of pushing at the time to get away from Leeds. Yes, I had aspirations again. And that's why I signed for Leeds to get to the Premier League. Uh, I think it was in and around the financial sort of stages uh, of the club. Uh, I think uh, there'd been uh, a little bit of uh, to and fro. Laurie Sanchez, my uh, international manager, was interim sort of manager at Fulham. But it was also it was widely sort of known that not only was he going to be caretaker manager for Fulham, he was going to get it on a on a permanent basis. So straight away there was a link that. I was going to go to Fulham, which eventually did happen. But I wasn't certainly looking to, you know, push myself out the door at Leeds. I, I spoke to Dennis, I spoke to people at the club, and I was made aware that, unfortunately, I actually didn't play in the uh, the Derby game. Uh, Dennis had made the decision that I'd been captain previously. Um, I think he said to me, probably for your own benefit, where you don't play and you don't get injured, maybe for the club, because I was, uh, unfortunately, at, at the time, I, a sellable asset to the club to get some money back in. Uh, and again, I understood. Yes, of course, I wanted to go and play at a better level. I didn't want to play in League One. But by no means at the time, if nothing had ever happened, uh, you know, I wouldn't have been pushing out the door at Legion United because, again, I still felt uh, as if I owed the club something at the time. Um, but again, once Dennis and the club made it aware that I was a sellable asset and they needed to get some money in in the summer, uh, that basically I was surplus to requirements in. That's why I didn't play the uh, the final game at Derby when we were eventually relegated. Um, so that was a disappointing one. 
uh, again, but I understood the club's reasons why uh, players like myself and some of the others who were probably uh, assets to the club basically had to be sell, uh, sold on to give Leeds uh, a financial opportunity of uh, sustaining League One uh, going forward with uh, uh, administration and to give the club the best opportunity of eventually getting back to uh, you know a wee bit of normality for the supporters. Yeah, and like you touched on, you did join Fulham, who were in the Premier League, and it was obviously a great step up for you and a great move for you. But yeah. what was it like to leave Leeds? Because obviously you were moving to the Premier League and out of League One. However, because of your performances at Leeds, you were well supported by the Leeds fans and you're a huge, important part of the team. So what did it feel like to leave all of that? Uh, sad. Um, disappointing. Uh, again, personally, I felt as if the whole reason why I wanted to go to Leeds um, hadn't worked out uh, for both. Uh, and it ended up sort of obviously at the end in relegation in the, in the League 1, the third tier of English football. But again, you always sort of leave with, um, you know, mixed emotions. Um, yes, I was going to be given an opportunity at a, at a level in the Premier League where I wanted to get to. But you also leave, even, even now, and sometimes you always look back and you always sort of, you know, you're disappointed in the way it did have to end because I had put so much in, I'd put a lot in to sort of leave press and to get the leads. Um, but, um, you know, you sort of have to think of everything. You have to weigh up. Uh, the club were basically telling me at the time. It wasn't me telling the club this time where uh, when I left press and to come to Leeds, it was me making the calls. Um, it was basically the club making its, its decision for me. We won't be able to keep you next year in League One. You're a sellable asset and we need to get as much money whatever they got in for me at the time to, 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 to give the club a wee bit of, uh, you know, a wee bit of security. So mixed emotions. Uh, I had so many good people at Leeds. And again, I know there's, uh, and I'm still, still in contact with uh, Sticks, uh, Mr. Lockwood, who yes. knocks. And again, the, you know, Sticks is an le absolute legend. Uh, you know, one of the nicest guys who, again, for me at Leeds, who somebody, somebody could sort of say to you, what does he do? And I'm thinking, well, I don't know what he does because I think he does everything. I think, I think he's player liaison. I think he's friends with the chairman. He, he, he's friends with all the players. He's friends with the staff, and he's been there for so long. Uh, and I say I'm still in contact with Sticks. I speak to him uh, every now and again. He sends me every message, uh, you know, a few messages every now and again. Um, big Martin, the big security guard, who still walks the, yeah. the players out. Big Martin used to be basic. I think. Uh, Big Martin used to babysit me on a couple of nights out because sometimes I used to get a few too many shandies and uh, get a wee bit leery. So we always used to bring Big Martin out um, to, to to basically make sure that the boys were being looked after. So again, not only were you losing friends and players in the dressing room, you were losing sort of you know a wee bit of a relationship with the supporters. Big Martin, who's again, I still see him uh, walking the teams out. People like Sticks, uh, John McClelland in and around doing um, you know, match day hospitality, who I was pretty close with, uh, even in and around at the time. And I know Leeds have been one of the probably the most unfortunate clubs at the you know, in the last sort of 12 months during the pandemic, where they've lost so many sort of legends of the game. You know, the you know, Norman Hunter, uh, Peter Lorimer, you know, what an absolute gentleman. And at any time, uh, you know, you were ever sort of meeting these guys who were led, you know, people say about. Boys in the Premier League being legends for Leeds United and basically they hadn't won that much. Lads like myself and the Backfords and Becky O's and whoever else has been sort of been before. But people like Eddie Gray, Norman Hunter, Peter Lorimer, 
some of these great names, you know, these were proper legends in the seventies when when Leeds were, you know, ruling Europe and they were top of the league and they were, you know, basically winning trophies. So the the to sort of leave not only the legacy sort of behind uh, people like Sticks and you know John McLean, Pig Marnish, you know you you, you leave and, and and probably uh, I don't even know why he's still up with Thorpe Arch, uh, you know the the groundsman Tank. I don't know why he's still there or not, or whether he's even changed his name. We used to call him Tank. You know, they, they, these guys were regulars on nights out. It was something to be fair that we always had. We always had a good group of sort of players, and we always sort of wanted to bring Martin, the security guy, you know, the groundsmen, uh, and any some of the other boys who were in and around. We we, we did have, uh, you know, a good core group of uh, senior players who basically went out of the way to try and make sure everybody felt uh, as if we were fighting along the same lines. Of course, you moved to the Premier League with Fulham in 2007 and then after a few spells at Sunderland, Rangers and Bury, you retired from professional football in 2013 and like we mentioned at the start of the show, you're now in management at Linfield. But do you still look out for Leeds' results and the performances, especially now in the Premier League and have you had the chance to return to Ellen Road since your retirement? Uh, yes, uh, I was there uh, when Leeds got promoted against Bristol Rovers uh, in... 2010. 2010. 2010. Um, what I was doing there, because again, I know it was probably early May. I think I was maybe injured uh, wherever I was. Uh, I was at the game. I was invited back uh, and went to the game. Um, I think Beckford scored. I don't know whether he scored the winner. He certainly scored on the day. I always remember that Leeds needed to beat. Um, Simon Grayson was the uh, the coach, the manager at the time. Yeah. Um. I think maybe even Leeds went behind. Possibly a man sent off. But Beckford or it was, uh, was Grado. Max Gradle. Max Gradle sent off. Yeah, he was sent off. He was sent off, and somehow then, because I always remember the game, and I still see him on I, I, again on the TV. Martin Atkinson, the referee. Uh, Martin Atkinson was about three or four seats from uh, where I was sat, so he was either had a rubbish day uh, refereeing, or he was maybe refereeing uh, the day after. Um, but he was sat three, four seats from me, and I always sort of remember that day, sort of thinking, well, at least I can sort of uh, enjoy a little bit of celebrations at seeing Leeds that were at least getting promoted back into uh, to where they needed to be, where they wanted to be, where the supporters demanded to be, and probably where the supporters basically earned the right that Leeds should have been at least at that stage playing in the uh, in the championship. So it was good to see them uh, getting promoted. Uh, I was turned in, must have been 2013, 2014, when Brian McDermott was the manager. Yeah. Uh, I ended up doing, I think I ended up doing co-commentary with uh, Mr. Pope um, on BBC. whatever, Yorkshire, Radio, BBC, BBC or Yorkshire Radio TV. Yeah. And again, BBC Radio Leeds. And it was something, again, that I was probably a wee bit shy and reluctant about because I didn't know what co-commentating sort of meant. Um, but I was in a sort of the... Bird's eye view. I was actually going because I was doing a little bit of scouting at the time with uh, for Northern Ireland for Michael O'Neill. Um, can't remember who they were playing. I think it might have been Huddersfield when I was there watching Ollie Norwood and possibly Martin Patterson who were playing for Huddersfield at the time. Uh, and I was I always remember meeting uh, Matt Sticks. Obviously, uh, the main man of Alan Brody introduced me, brought me in. Um, I was introduced to Brian McDermott, the manager, and then he took me in to see. Uh, Massimo Cellini at the time in his little office and again I, I I always remember going into the office because it was like going into probably a bookmaker's 
in the early 90s when everybody could smoke and do whatever you want. I walked into his office. It was like a little dungeon and a little cage. And I was walking towards uh, something like something out of a, uh, an Italian mafia movie. And I'm sort of walking, basically wafting smoke to see who was at the other end of the table. And all of a sudden, Mr. Uh, Mr. Cellini introduced myself, uh, Sticks introduced myself to, to, to him, tell him who I was, I played here, why I was there. Uh, and basically, from then on, um, built up a, li- a little bit of a relationship with, uh, with, Ma- with Massimo Cellini. As always, in the second section of the show, we put forward four questions to our guests, which have been submitted by some of our LUFC fans on Instagram followers. To have a chance of featuring, simply head over to our LUFC Fans on Instagram page and look out for our guest announcement, where the best four questions in the comments section of that post will feature in this section of the show. This week's first question comes from Will, who asks, who was the funniest player or the player joker when you were at Leeds and why? Uh, Gary Kelly. Uh, I think typical Irish sort of banter, mad as a hatter. Uh, we had a few nights back at Kells's um, mansion where he lived, uh, and it was one of them. I think we've been back after maybe one of the one of the seasons player of the year dues. Uh, him and his wife Jules, uh, uh, they had no keys to get in. They invited all the players back and their wives and whatever else, and we got there. And I think Kells had lost his keys, so Kells, as he does, throws a brick through the window. Uh, <laughs> Doesn't ring anybody for a key. Doesn't sort of ring. Uh, maybe you've got a spare key somewhere else. Puts a big, puts a brick through the window, and all of a sudden there's a big party going on. So certainly, Kells, brilliant lad. Uh, I know he's. I think he's back now, living in Ireland, um, and he, I think he's doing a little bit of coaching and whatever else. But funny lad, brilliant lad, and more than helpful when I was back in when I first came into the Leeds dressing room. And next up is Sai, who asks. Who was the most talented player you played with at Leeds, and why? Uh, talented players again. Um, Robbie Blake uh, had two good feet, uh, good ability. Um, again, probably like myself, maybe lacked that real pace, uh, and that's why we probably played the majority of our career at times in the championship. But technically, he was very good, ability-wise. Probably the early stage when I first went, we had. Uh, and this was great for me at the time because I could end up playing up front if um, Brian Dean was maybe not playing. Uh, we had big Brian Dean playing up front. We had Johnny Oster, unknown, who was technically a very good player, but probably the one coming through at the time and ended up moving on was uh, Aaron Lennon. Fantastic young talent, great pace, great ability. And, you know, to see, go on, see, you know, the career he's had uh, now. Um, you could, see, you could sense that back then about how good and how much ability Aaron had at the time. Brilliant young player. I think he's still playing now. Is he still at Burnley at the minute? So he's had a phenomenal career. He's gone to Turkey. We've been trying to get him on the show, but he plays in Turkey now. Has he? He's, at least he's probably uh, earning decent money in Turkey. So I know he's <laughs> at Burnley. He's been at Airways, you know, Tottenham. You know, he's had a fantastic career. And, uh, and again, I know he's 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 one, of, he's one of the local lads from Leeds and whatever else. So... Uh, Certainly, if I can do the uh, the podcast and whatever else, certainly, certainly one of one of the local boys should be doing it. Get him told. <laughs> get him told. Get Aaron Lennon on. Tell him I said how good he was and uh, best young talent and whatever else at Leeds. This week's third question comes from Keith, who asks: You scored quite a few goals for Leeds during your time at the club, but which one was your favourite and why? 
possibly possibly one of my best uh, again was uh, it's probably been talked about quite a bit it was Brian Dean Day uh, at Elms Road when we beat QPR I think it was six maybe five or six one maybe uh, possibly six one where uh, I think Brian scored four goals basically honestly from uh, a total aggregate distance from about one yard and that that's the four of them totaled up um, you know, where he just basically stood on the line and basically tapped a couple of balls in from Jermaine Wright, I think Aaron Lennon and possibly Johnny Oster at the time. Uh, but I scored. We were getting people now at the time. Um, and lo and behold, I scored probably one of my better goals. Um, the first goal, I, I, I bounced to me and I loved it over the goalkeeper uh, to get us back into the game. It's probably quickly forgotten about because of Brian Dean Day. Probably, probably one of my favourite ones. And again, this isn't any anything personal against the the Preston fans at the time. Was my first goal uh, at Deepdale. Uh, I know there was so much riding on it. Uh, I talked earlier about the uh, the the nice warm welcome that I received at the time. So to score my first goal at my previous club against my free, previous employers um, was was extra special because it gave me a little bit of confidence and to realise. Uh, I'm at a big club here. Um, I wanted to impress the, the manager and the supporters uh, and the players who you know who you're playing with. And uh, that first that first goal at uh, at Deep Deal was a big special goal for me. And this week's final question comes from Dom, who asks: During your three seasons at Leeds United, what is your most memorable moment at the club, and why? It's a hard one to say. Memorable um, again, making the debut against Wigan. You know, to play, to to be welcomed in the manner I I, I was by you know the generous lead supporters. And I always felt, even throughout my career, even though at times I probably wasn't scoring the goals or maybe not, I always sort of felt as if I had a good rapport uh, with the lead supporters. Um, and again, uh, you know, that still to this day sort of means a lot to me. Best moments, my debut, um, scoring the amount of goals that I did. Uh, I scored a couple of uh, good goals against Plymouth at home. Um, the QPR one would have talked about. I scored a decent goal away to Southend uh, when we were struggling. To, I think it was a, the last minute. We'd done the old cutback free kick and I put it into the top corner. I think Robbie Elliott at the, at the, at the time. So there's good memories. But again, it's all it's always sort of tainted to say, Special memories, yes, my debut, playing with some fantastic players, playing in the uh, the arena of Elland Road. Um, but it's also it's always sort of tainted with a little bit of disappointment to with not only not getting to the Premier League when we should have, uh, the relegation when we should have staved off that, um, and leaving the club and basically being captain on the day we uh, we eventually got relegated. So a lot of highs, um, but again, looking at it from now, you know, there's still a wee bit of disappointment that there. Uh, Things didn't quite quite work out the way uh, I had perceived, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, wanted it to happen at the time. And that ends today's episode. Thank you to everyone for sending their questions, and thank you so much for your time, David. It's been great having you on the show. Yes, no worries, guys. Again, thank you. Uh, again, listen, if there's anything you need going forward, uh, I watch probably more Leeds games than probably you do at times. Uh, so I, I I keep up to date with the under twenty threes. I keep up to date with uh, to see what. Uh, uh, Mr. Bielsa is going to be at and who he's going to try and out tactic uh, just to sort of try and take notes of. and it is something that we have uh, I know we have the contacts with um, sort of Charlie and Leeds and obviously Linfield and whatever else going forward 
um, to try and get the thoroughbars maybe two three days to see how uh, how the magician of a coach actually works. To, you know, to try and again give us a couple of little hinters. I went to um, when Brendan Rodgers was um, you know manager at Liverpool. Um, again, Brendan sort of coming from close enough where I sort of live, it gave me the opportunity to go in and sort of. Uh, watch his training sessions the way he manages and whatever else it would be lovely one day to go back to Thor Barch and see uh, the magician it is Mr Bielsa and see how he actually works so I look forward to that we'll be back next week with another guest stay tuned for the post over on our LUFC fan zone Instagram later in the week thanks for listening